0: For Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When, his, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came to them and touched them. Get up, he said. Do not be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Do not tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. And now it's time for the bridge to be dismissed, a gathering for 6th to 8th graders. Faceplant, almost. Thank you, Jeremy. Praise man. Thank you, Daniel, for the reading. My name's is Dee. What a privilege it is to be with you um, and to dig it a little deeper into this passage of Scripture, um, this Matthew passage, sometimes referred to as um, the transfiguration of Jesus. And it has some interesting components to it. I'd like to start, though, by acknowledging something out of uh, the first service that caught my attention. It was a uh, Opening song that Victor Lubinsky referenced as maybe new to some of us in that gathering, but it was actually a very, very old song. And it was a song that he overheard his dad singing many, many times. And it was a song about trusting in God. And when he said it, it reminded me of one of my last experiences with Victor's dad, Carlin's grandpa. Albert Lebinski. He was um, in a hospital facility, and um, I didn't know it at the time, but he was less than two weeks away from passing. And I went to visit him. Um, Some of you may not know Albert at all, but he was a pastor his entire vocational journey. Wonderful man. He would often slip into the offering plate cartoons that he thought would catch my attention. And so I... Yeah, Um, Both overwhelmingly sweet and um, hard. Um, When he passed, he had a cartoon that was in his coat pocket. And uh, the family was kind enough to drop it into the offering plate the week after he passed. It was just this beautiful moment for me. But anyway, two weeks prior to his passing, um, I was visiting him. And he was in bed, but he was kind of propped up. And these aren't his exact words, but I I can remember so well the gist of what he said. It's one of those memories that I just think will stay with me my entire journey. He said, you know, Pastor, I know where I am right here. And I actually know where I'm going right here. I just don't know what the journey's like between those two. And he was just, he knew he was just days away from passing. I, of course, was speechless. I had nothing to say in that moment other than just to nod my head and, and be present as a witness to his moment. But I thought, isn't that actually true for all of us who are attempting to live a faithful life? I, I know where I am right now. I, I know where I'm going. I just, I don't know what it is that's between these two. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, I I just would like that image to be in your mind of what it might be like to trust all of the unknowns of that journey because the one we love and serve longs for us to make that journey in a way that holds us steady and honors God in the process. I, that image sticks with me as I come to this passage. Um, I know you just heard it, but let me review kind of the highlights of this passage where we have Jesus going up on a mountaintop with Peter, James, and James's brother John. I, I would like to remind you right up front that these are f- for friends. We often have it in perspective of there's Jesus and the disciples are followers and there's this formal kind of a reteaching relationship that has a lot of these and thous to it. These are just friends. They've been fishing together. They've camped together. They've walked the beach together. They've traveled together. They've stayed in people's homes together. They've visited each other's homes. These are friends I'm guessing they have nicknames for one another. That they chide each other about who's the worst fisherman, who's the best fisherman, about um, who's got goofy shoes and who doesn't have goofy shoes. They are friends that hang out together and have decided just, I'm guessing, that Jesus is prompting to climb up a mountain. Friends. Friends. They get to the top of the mountain, and then some weird stuff starts happening. Jesus begins to be what we call transfigured. His countenance, his face begins to light up. There's this glow about him. His clothes, one writer says, are brighter than anybody could bleach clothes. They are dazzling white. And then there appears with Jesus two other people, Moses and Elijah. I had somebody after first service say, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? And I said, well, there's one artist rendering that has the Moses figure carrying the tablets, the Ten Commandments. She goes, oh, I guess that would be kind of a giveaway if that was the case. And I said, and maybe Jesus says, hi, Moses. That might have been the other clue that they had. I don't know how they knew this. They knew it was Moses and Elijah. Jesus is talking with them. And then Peter, I guess wanting to be part of the conversation, I don't know, feeling left out, says, Hey, I got an idea. Let me just throw it out there, see what you think. What if we built like a a tabernacle, a, a booth kind of thing for all three of you, one for each of you, Jesus, Moses, Elijah, while Peter is saying this, a voice from heaven comes that says, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm pleased. Pay attention to him. Peter, James, and John fall right to the ground, terrified. And Jesus reaches down and he says to them, get up, don't be afraid. And when they get up, it's just the four of them again. And they head back down the mountain. There are several interesting pieces of this story that catch my attention. The one, it may not occur to you, but I think I would have fallen down terrified long before the voice from heaven came. That's what throws me off about this story. The face glowing, I'd lean over and say, something's weird going on, we got to get off of this mountain right now. I, the clothes just lighting up. I, and then, seriously, the appearance of Elijah and Moses and we're just going to act as if this is no big deal and we're going to build a couple tabernacles. This doesn't make any sense to me at all, but then the voice from heaven comes, terrified they fall down. I would like, if I could, just for a moment, to come to Peter's defense. As ridiculous as this sounds, there are parts of it that make a whole lot of sense. One is that... Peter is the one about whom Jesus has said you're the rock. I'm going to build my church and you're a central piece of this. It's as if Peter has this blessing, this anointing, at least this knowledge that I'm I'm part of what's happening. And so for him to speak up, to participate, to kind of offer an idea into this mix makes sense to me. I would also say that the notion of building a booth is far-fetched to us, but it makes a whole lot of sense given the Old Testament's admonition. We find numerous teachings about tabernacles. One is after Moses comes down off of the mountain, they build a, a portable tabernacle, which is where the presence of God would dwell. Moses would go in and meet with the Spirit of God. If anybody had any questions, they'd come to the door of the tabernacle and wait on God. Not only that, but we have in Leviticus chapter 23, an establishment of what is called the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's the word that's used here, is tabernacle. Why don't we build three of these, one for each of you. The Feast of Tabernacles was to last about a week, and it was honoring that we had been brought out of Egypt, and God's Spirit dwelt with us in the tabernacle. And during the Feast of Tabernacles that lasted about a week, they would actually build booths. And the people of Israel would actually live in this small booth during this feast time as an acknowledgment of God's provision and God's presence and God's work. So for Peter to feel like we're experiencing God's presence and then to offer to build booths, one for each one of them, makes a whole lot of sense to say let's preserve this moment let's hold this as sacred let's follow what our ancestors have taught us to do and that's to build a booth a tabernacle for this to take place probably really important and appropriate to pause long enough to say matthew the writer of this does an incredible job of setting this story in the context of the Old Testament Scripture. We have so many stories from the Old Testament that speak about going on the mountaintop. And in the mountaintop, meeting God. I've already referenced the story of Moses. Elijah also went up on the mountain. And up on the mountain, before God ever appeared, there was thunder and lightning and earthquake and heavy winds. And God wasn't in any of those though God might have caused those to happen, there then was this still, small voice that spoke. And that was what brought Elijah out of the cleft of the rock to be in God's presence. The imagery of the lightning, the dazzling light, the power of God's majesty Ezekiel has a similar kind of passage that speaks of the very same kinds of events taking place. Daniel has a story about meeting God and the things that took place that has imagery that matches the kind of imagery we have in this Matthew passage. It is Matthew's way of saying to all who would read, Jesus is the one to whom all of the scriptures have pointed and the story of Jesus aligns with those things that are deeply embedded in our tradition of faith. That the all-powerful God has chosen to meet with us and that we cherish and see as holy God's presence with us the imagery repeated over and over again now comes in Jesus' lifetime. Here we have, after Peter speaks up, a nice literary tool that Peter uses. It ties Peter's words to the words from heaven. By the bridge that says, and while he was still speaking, a voice from heaven called out. So it's as if there is at least a connection, if not a response from heaven to what Peter has just said. So don't make these two separate portions of the story. See that they're all tied together. And the voice from heaven says, This is my son, my love with whom I'm pleased. Listen to him. I almost feel like the language here is guarded by the writer Matthew so that it doesn't feel too um, unsacred. But if you really listen to the timing and how it's said, it's almost as if God is saying, shut up, Peter, and listen to my son. When I read it that way, it reminds me of a time in my journey with my oldest, when she was a preschooler. And I know that I'm about to embarrass her, but I did ask permission for this. It's a story that I told quite a few years ago, so there'll be a few of you who might remember, but most of you probably would not. We were staying in a place that had um, three levels, and we were in the lower level. My girl was... Seated at one of those small little school tables that had the wraparound arm, and she was working, I believe, on a magna doodle. If you're not familiar with a magna doodle, it's a little pin that marks, and because of the magnetic stuff, it creates whatever you're drawing onto the surface of this um, wonderful toy. I was about seven feet away, sitting on the couch. I believe I was reading something, but I could see her out of the corner of my eye. Again, preschool. And I noticed that she turns to her right, and as she turns to her right, unbeknownst to her, that movement allowed the magnetoodle to slide off of the desk and land on the floor. She turned around a bit startled and looked at me, and she said, Dad, pick it up. <laughs> now I should have probably just gone ahead and done that. But knowing that it was not my responsibility in that moment, I, acting like a preschooler, probably said, no, I'm not going to pick that up. And she said, Dad, you have to pick that up. And I said, but I'm not going to pick that up because I'm not responsible for that. Yes, you are, Dad, and this banter went back and forth for what seemed like quite a long time, but certainly no more than about 90 seconds. But in the midst of this back and forth bantering, I heard the word pig said, So I stopped the bantering, and I said, sweetie, come over here and sit on my lap. We need to talk. And she looked at me, she said, I don't think I want to do that. (laughs) And I said, well, that really doesn't matter. I need you to come over and sit on my lap. We need to talk about this. She very slowly got up from her desk and walked over to where I was. And I lifted her up and set her down on my lap, and I looked her square in the eyes, and I said, now, sweetie, I might have pushed too hard on this back and forth, but I need to let you know that it is never, ever okay to call your dad a pig. And without hesitation, she looks back at me, kind of shrugs her shoulders and says, but dad, what I really wanted to say was, shut up, pig, but I didn't say that. Okay, great, (laughs) nicely done. Let me get the magna doodle for you and we'll move on. Of course, I was speechless. There's no response other than to say, good job for holding back there. (laughs) I just feel like in this moment, God speaks graciously, but it is, shut up, Peter. Peter's like all of us. Something good happens, we're ready to institutionalize it, memorialize it, establish it, build an organization around it, make sure it just keeps happening again and again because, wow, this is a great moment and certainly if we gather together again this time next year up on this mountain, we'll have some booths ready and this whole thing will repeat itself or why don't we do a weekly kind of a thing? That would be fantastic and let's establish who gets to come, who we're going to invite and create a list and just set out all of the buffet because we need food as well for this. Let's just create a structure around on and on and on of plans. The point is you're missing being in the presence. The imagery of tabernacle or tabernacling is to be in God's presence. We miss the purpose when we get caught up in all of the structure. And into this place, God speaks and says, Stop! Just for a moment, stop! Be present, listen. It's here at this point in the story where all three of them collapse, terrified. Don't you wonder what it was about this moment that was so terrifying as opposed to the previous minutes? Well, the most obvious answer is God's voice. Was it thunderous? Was it quiet? I don't know. Was it confrontive? Was it grace-filled? I'm not sure. Maybe there is this moment where they've been with their good friend Jesus, not realizing that Jesus was God's presence with them. Well, that would be at least beginning to be terrifying. I mean, we've been in God's presence all along. This is what God's presence is like. It is in this moment that Jesus says, get up. Don't be afraid. I heard somebody comment one time that she was convinced that our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate. Though I think some of us think that sometimes, fear of inadequacy she contended that our greatest fear is that we are completely adequate and we're terrified as to what comes with being adequate for that which God has called us to do. We're not adequate in our own strength. We're adequate because God's presence is with us and in us. But being fully adequate given God's presence actually is a terrifying thought my excuses are now stripped away. My reasons for not stepping in to the calling on my life because God has promised my presence is with you. I have made my tabernacle in you. I make you fully adequate for the very thing that I've called you to do. You are a perfect match, a perfect fit, the perfect person, the perfect one to step into the things that I have called you to do. How frightening that is. I have no doubt that we all have a variety of fears. Fears of loss of control, fear of the unknown, fear of the other, Fear that keeps us kind of frozen. I have to confess, a little one of my I'm not sure what it is but anxious fears came out this past week. Um, I had a wonderful privilege thank you for allowing me to go to a conference. It was down in uh, Florida, and it was a conference for pastors, but the beautiful thing about it was that it was put on by pastors. No specialists, no hierarchy, just pastors talking about their experience to others. It was wonderful. Um, I happen to use an app that I've used for quite a few years called Hotel Tonight, and it's one of those things where you wait to the last minute and you get a great deal on a hotel. You never quite know what you're going to get, but that's part of the joy of it far more joyful when you're traveling alone than when a lot of people are dependent upon you. But nevertheless, I was traveling alone, waited to the last minute, actually the evening of, actually not until like five o'clock at night before. I pulled up the app, Hotel Tonight, and there's a list of about five hotels. and. To kind of put this in perspective, the cost of Holiday Inn Express, that was one of the options. Came across another one that looked more interesting and that was probably $30 less than Holiday Inn Express. Oh, great, save a few dollars, this looks like a good place. Drive to it, I don't know why I didn't anticipate this, I just didn't pay close enough attention to the details. But I arrived, and for this crazy price, I had rented a three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath condominium with a one-car garage and a full kitchen, living room, the whole thing. And I walked in. It was just kind of overwhelming. It was just me. And at first, I thought, well, this is really cool. I have this whole place. I could invite all the other pastors over, though it was a little further out than the rest of them were. Often happens with Hotel Tonight. But then it started bothering me, this two-story filled with closets and rooms that weren't being used and nobody else to make me feel real safe in this place. So here's my big confession. This three-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath with laundry room, garage, everything. I went through and I checked every closet underneath every bed just to verify that I was there alone. I'd watched too many strange TV shows where there was some big scheme and they had... uh, Hijacked somebody's phone in the app and got them to stay in a place that they shouldn't have ever entered. So once I got the lay of the land, everything was okay. I locked myself in the master bedroom and I was fine. (laughs) Now, all of us have some of those things that uh, catch us in moments that we didn't see it coming and lead us to a place where the anxiety goes up a little bit. That's pretty minor on the scheme. Uh, Of life. We all have some things, though, that kind of trigger things inside of us. The question, so often for us, is what's the source of that fear? Sometimes we even know what the source is. Sometimes we know it's an experience of our past, sometimes we know it's just an uncertainty of uh, what's next. Sometimes it's based, like I just said, in something recently we saw or heard or stories that have been told. Here it's interesting that the presence of God became the terrifying factor. Let me try and link those together for a few moments. If our God concept leads us to a place of terror then we need to be open to the notion of reforming our God concept. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Get up. It's okay. The voice is gone. Moses and Elijah are gone. The cloud begins to dissipate. Jesus is still present with them. God with us. Jesus is saying and says later on, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The corollary to that is if you've been with me, you've been with the Father. This relationship, this relationship is presence. This is tabernacling together. God says, I'll come and I'll make my tabernacle, my room, my place of dwelling with you and in you. Allow the fear of that to begin to fall away because we have learned in Jesus, this God of love toward us, this God who believes in us, who calls out to us as God's children wanting to gather you up on God's lap with instruction, and listen to your humorous response of what I really wanted to say, God, and laugh with us and hold us. A God whose forgiveness and grace goes into all of those corners of fear and says, I'm just asking that you might trust me. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I'll always, always be present. It's here that we might consider that this maybe isn't just the transfiguration of Jesus. This is the transfiguration of Peter. Now, they had to come off the mountain, just like Moses had to come off the mountain and confront the crowd that was doing some nutty things. Elijah had to come off the mountain And when he came off the mountain, God called him to go anoint a new king and a new prophet amongst a hostile crowd. Jesus comes off the mountain and is confronted right after this with those who are desiring healing and wanting help. And the disciples aren't doing very good at it. In fact, they come to him and say, why couldn't we do this? He said, ah, your faith. doesn't take much, just a grain. But if you'll step into this trust... I'll get you from where you are to where you know you want to be. And you don't know what this looks like, but will you trust me? Not out of fear, but because you know my presence means my love. And so that's the invitation to all of us that we might live daily transfiguration. But it does call us to set aside time to let that happen. It calls us to be willing to hear the voice of God if God says, oh, D, just shut up. Just stop. Stop all of the planning, the organizing, the laying out the groundwork, and just for a moment, will you just listen? And in listening, dwell in my presence here. Then maybe out of a place of trust, your next steps will be more clear. Out of a place of being loved, your next actions might make more sense. And you might actually have a chance to participate in the transfiguration of someone else's journey Because you, First D, have stopped and listened. I invite you to hear this morning. Jesus' call. Don't be afraid. Get up. We're together. I'm going to invite the band to come up. To help us in a response song. Let me offer a prayer as they do. Ah, Lord, I I have to confess that there are times where my response to you is sometimes I'm not sure I want to do that, Lord. Thank you for persisting and inviting, waiting for me to come close enough so that you can pick me up under the arms and lift me up onto your lap. With gentle instruction, kind grace, far beyond what we deserve, you hold us. in your presence so as the transition began to take place in Peter's life and lord so evident evident in scripture that James and John were transformed as well may this morning this be the story of our transfiguration Oh Lord, help us not to get lost in the building of something to commemorate your presence, but to actually enjoy being in your presence. Free from fear, literally free from condemnation, free from guilt, free to be with you. Oh God, thank you. Amen.